I want to invite you to grab uh, your Bible or the one that's, you know, on your phone and, and go with me again to the book of Exodus today to chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5 is we're on week 5 of our series on the book of Exodus, the, the story of, of God bringing his people out from a place of slavery in chapter 1, a really bad place, to a place of song, to a place of of thankfulness and praise in chapter 15 on account of how God has rescued them as a people, the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob, and just how God brought them freedom and a new beginning for their lives and in a way that, as you read, only God could, only God could. As we turn today to chapter 5 in this story, and by the way, which is much more than an epic and inspiring story in God's Word, it is, it is God's Word to you. This story is God's Word to you and to me for our own journey, for our own story, for the thing God wants to do in you and in me in terms of where He wants to take us in Him. You know, that's what, that's what the book of Exodus is all about. It's a setup. It's a setup for you to see the very same things God does for us in Jesus in the New Testament. It's, it's, God's word is here this morning for you to put things on your radar, to take you to the place God wants you to be. If you'll take his cues, if you'll take in what he's got for you, if you'll ask the Holy Spirit to make this word living for you this morning in however he brings it. But, you know, as we look at chapter 5, we see something that we all need to see in terms of our walk and our own personal journey with God and maybe even as a community, that sometimes when you step out to faithfully follow God in your life, things take a turn. Things get harder sometimes before they get easier. But if you persevere and believe God to bring you to the other side, it will always be better. That's what we're going to see today in this chapter of the unfolding story of the book of Exodus. You know, that that in faithfully following God, sometimes things first get harder before they get easier. And so I want to talk to you this morning. I want to talk to myself this morning about the absolute necessity for persevering in your walk with God and seeing God's promises over your life being fulfilled. The scriptures talk an awful lot about persevering. And it's because in the plan and the wisdom of God, we're going to look into some of the details of that in the story this morning. Sometimes, as you step out to faithfully follow, things get harder for a time instead of easier, but always in the end, better if you persevere to the other side. You know, and it reminds me of just a personal story, and some of it I shared before, so I won't go on, but, you know, in 2005, Linda and I sensed that God was calling us to a new season of ministry as we were serving him at, a, at another church. And at the time, I was youth pastor here at, at Wellspring, and that seems like such a long, you know, time ago. Some of you remember that. And in obedience, at the end of that season, we realized uh, that God was leading us to a different place and to a different chapter, and in obedience, we went. And, uh, and that place was Vancouver, of all places. And from our perspective, we were leaving, uh, you know, this season of our lives back then in 2005 at a really great place. Um, it was a high for us, that it was, it was hard for us to go. I don't know if you knew that. Maybe you're glad we went. I don't know. But uh, for us, it was really hard to go because God had did such a, done a wonderful thing in our lives, and we had seen God at work, and it was just a, a beautiful season for us. At least that's how we felt about it. But in obedience, we went. 
in obedience we went. But almost as soon as we said yes to that call, in fact, even before we physically left the city of Burlington, it just seemed that things suddenly took a turn for us. Things personally got harder. Um, financially got not so good for us. And the church that God was leading us to, that we went to, we discovered, was just in a difficult place when we arrived and, and had a lot more challenges than we understood. And we just wondered what in the world. We, you know, we, we, we were in a good place with God. We said yes to Him. We put it all out there and we moved away. And we got there and we're like, what, what in the world, God? Like, you know, why? And, you know... Um, we were discouraged for a time, and I was tempted to kind of uh, even uh, give, uh, give up. Uh, you know, I was, I was thinking about maybe even just quitting after nine months. There's a public confession for you, um, but I'm glad I never did. I'm glad we didn't, because in persevering, we actually got to see some amazing and beautiful things that God did in the community that he wanted us to be a part of, and as important as that was, I got to see some important character work in my own life in terms of just a more complete, mature faith that isn't riding on a high, but is believing God for all the things he has said in his word through every high and every low. And I'm still tested, and we all are. That's why perseverance is so important. But that was sort of our story. And maybe you've had a similar experience in your journey. Maybe you're in one of those places, you know, maybe even right now, where you stepped out in some way to obediently follow God in some way. Or you have begun to make a change in your life according to, you, to being obedient to what God says is in his word about how he has called us to be holy as, as he is holy. And all of a sudden, instead of blessing to follow, instead of things getting easier, suddenly maybe things have gotten a little bit harder for you. And it's maybe thrown you off. And when we're in those moments, our temptation is to bail. Our temptation is to look for the next off-ramp and just kind of forget, maybe give up, uh, or maybe blame someone else for the trial that you're going through. If you can't blame God, maybe it's someone nearby you, you know. And that's kind of the story of what we're about to read in Exodus chapter 5. And just to recap, last week ended in chapter 4 with Moses getting back on track, back on track in a commitment to a life of personal holiness. And Pastor Dan walked us through some of that chapter. Somehow Moses had come to the conclusion that he didn't think it was important to follow all that God had said for his personal life in setting out to fulfill and be successful in the call of God upon his life. And if you remember, what he did was he failed to circumcise, I should say, his second son, as God had commanded every Israelite to do as a sign of God's covenant promise to his descendants. And that might not seem like a big deal to you, big deal to me, but it was a big deal to God because it's something God had asked every single family to do, to circumcise their sons as a, as a symbol, as a sign of the covenant that God had made to them, the descendants of Abraham and Sarah, to make them a nation, a holy nation, a holy nation that God would use to bless all the other nations whom we know God one day brought a, through a Savior who is, who is Jesus. And so in doing so, Moses almost compromised his calling by not realizing a calling requires a commitment to holiness to succeed in what God wants to do 
in and through you. Not a perfect life, only Jesus lived a perfect life, but a commitment to being holy as he is holy. But here's the thing that we saw last week. Thankfully, you know, God had mercy on Moses. God gave Moses a godly wife. Her name was Zipporah. And, and we see in chapter four that she saw her husband's error. And on behalf of her husband, she does what Moses should have done. And she goes and she circumcises their son in obedience to God's command. And, and, and God's anger is turned away and Moses has a personal moment of refinement in learning to obey. And thankfully, it happens before he gets to the heat of things as he arrives in Egypt. It happens on the way. And God is preparing him to say, you need to stay obedient to me if you are going to succeed in the call I have over your life. And thankfully, Moses learns it before he gets there. And I just want to say this. Here's the pit stop. If you have a godly wife, hey, if you have a godly husband, be thankful. They are a gift to you. Or you might be in a relationship where you're like, I'm the believing one in the relationship. I'm the believing one in the marriage. Never forget, never forget that God is using you as a godly influence in the life of your partner. And that's exactly what it says in the New Testament in the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul says the unbelieving husband is sanctified has been sanctified through his wife, his believing wife. And then he goes on to say vice versa. And so quickly as we just catch up to where we're picking up from, from last week, as we get to our chapter for today, I just, one more pit stop, because I know you're asking the question. And the question is, why circumcision? So let's just get that out of the way and get on to the rest of the message, okay? It's not our topic for today, but I actually think the reason is, is fairly straightforward if it hasn't come to you yet, all right? But God's promise to Abraham, and by extension Sarah, was about descendants. And even though Abraham and Sarah were barren up until their old age, God's promise was to make them fertile, to bring forward through them, even in Sarah's old age, and his, a son, who is Isaac. And circumcision was to be a reminder of that promise, God's promise of descendants that God said would one day seem to be as numerous as the stars in the night sky, both physically, but we also know now, spiritually, as Jesus being a descendant of the people of Israel and everyone who believes in him now considered a child of God as we sang this morning. And so God's still making good on that promise. But that's what circumcision about. And let's just be honest. I mean, that's a sign you're not going to forget. But it reminds you about procreation and fertility and descendants. So if you ever wanted to know why that, that's why. And so after this moment of personal refinement and getting back on track and living according to what God has said, Moses and Aaron, at the end of chapter 4, they go they go to their people, the Israelites in Egypt, and they tell them the good news. They tell them the good news of God's plan of salvation. These people who are in a bad place and under the thumb of a culture of darkness dominated by false gods and a tyrannical power. They go and they tell them all about God's good news. 
and after seeing a number of signs and wonders, and all this should be ringing alarm bells for what you read in the book of Acts in the New Testament. They bow down and they worship God in that moment. And so chapter four ends on this spiritual high. But now as we turn to chapter five, things take a turn. They take a turn. Things get harder instead of easier as Moses and the people commit to believing God for their freedom and following him. And that's what I want us to look at, specifically in a moment, how Moses responds to God's word to go. How Pharaoh responds to God's word when he receives it. And how the people and Moses respond when the following gets tough. So grab your Bible. Let's get there now. Let's read the text. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. That's just the one I like to read. But starting in verse 1, afterward, after this spiritual high, it says, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who's the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Let's just pause there. How does Moses, along with Aaron, respond to God's voice, to God's call, right off the bat? I think we can safely say with boldness and courage. We can say with boldness and courage. That is the instruction that God gave to Joshua in the beginning of Joshua. Do not be afraid. Be courageous. I'm with you. And so Moses and Aaron, they obediently do the thing God had called them to do. They go. They go. They do it. They go to Pharaoh and they tell him, this is like king of the world. They tell him to let God's people go. And what is the reason for which God tells Pharaoh to let his people go? What is the reason that Moses and Aaron tell Pharaoh God wants to release his people? It is so that they can worship him. It is so that they can worship him. God wants his people to be able to get away from their work, to spend time with him in worship. A three-day retreat to the wilderness to host a festival. God wants them to get away from the tyranny of their work and all the pressures of their culture and have a time of worship with him. And you might be saying, why worship Freedom is for worship? Why worship? You know, what is the purpose behind God wanting to bring freedom from darkness to your life? It is for you to enter into a life of worship. And you might go, why? Is God really that needy? Does God need you and me to go and and give him our worship? And the answer is no, of course not. He's God. God doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need anything. You, you can't give God anything he hasn't already given you. So why? You know, why? God wants us free to be able to worship him and f- do so fully because he is what we need most. He is what we need most. The best that God has to give us is himself. That is the point of worship. Nothing is greater or better than the gift that, of God himself. 
That's why we celebrate Jesus coming. That's why, why he was announced as Emmanuel, God you know, with us. And in worship, God wants us to receive from him and be captivated by him and be consumed by him. Anything else God could give you other than himself, and God gives us many blessings in our life, they're really secondary to the greatest thing that we might not yet perceive, but the greatest thing is himself in a life of worship. God doesn't need our worship. We need worship. We need to worship to help our hearts begin to access and see who he is, his magnificence, his presence, his goodness, him being like nothing or no one else. You know, the Westminster Catechism, that ancient statement of the church in old language states, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the reason for which God wants to bring freedom to you and to me in terms of the course of our life. Because there's nothing greater for you than him. There's nothing greater for me than him. Sometimes I'm challenged with that thought. But the longer I've lived and the more I've journeyed with God, the more I see it, the more I see it. Everything else is shifting sands. Everything else is temporary. Everything else just doesn't quite deliver. Only he. And in worship, we become captivated by him. And so sorry, Moses and Aaron respond to God's voice with, with courage, with faith, and boldness. But how does Pharaoh respond to God's word? So there's, there's kind of two options of response. How does Pharaoh respond to God's word? He says, who's the Lord that I should obey him? I don't know him. I don't know him. In Exodus, Pharaoh is kind of an anti-God, anti-Christ figure who persistently rejects God. He thinks he's God. In verse 4, as we keep going, it says this, but the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. And then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. And so this is sort of the immediate reward that Moses got. Pharaoh said, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Pharaoh rejects God's word and he counters with an attack on God's people using two common tactics that I want us to see of the enemy of our soul, whom Jesus says in the New Testament is the devil. The first tactic that Pharaoh tries to use to keep God's people from worship is busyness. In response, Pharaoh says, get back to work. What are you thinking, taking a three-day retreat? Are you kidding me? Why are you keeping the people away from their labor? You know, God calls us to times of Sabbath, doesn't he? God calls us to rest in him. Isn't that what it says in God's word? There's a Sabbath rest for the people of God, we read in the book of Hebrews. But Pharaoh accuses God's people of being lazy at the thought of taking out time from work to go worship. And you know, in God's way, work is such a good thing. In the garden, God gave Adam and Eve the vocation of farmer. 
tender of the garden. He gave their life meaning and purpose and accomplishment. God set all of that up. Great job. Work is good in the right way. But when work gets in the way of our worship, it, it crosses over into something else. Something the enemy would love to fuel in your life. What we might call busyness, keeping you away from, from God. And here Pharaoh wants to keep God's people busy with their labor so they have no time and no energy left to bring God worship. Have you ever been in a season like that? Under the tyranny of the responsibilities that you encounter in your life. You know, C.S. Lewis's famous book, The Screwtape Letters, it's about a fictional conversation between a head demon Screwtape and his junior apprentice Wormwood. Wormwood, he's all excited about, you know, beginning to trip up believers in his new career as a junior demon. And, uh, and so he's excited to tell his superior all of his little strategies of getting God's people off track. And in this fictional story of C.S. Lewis, you know, this uh, junior uh, Wormwood, he tells his superior Screwtape, he was really trying to think of some big sins to get God's people off track, you know. But Screwtape, he's got a lot more experience with this. And he says, no, no, that's just the wrong way to lure believers away from the enemy, the enemy being God, their enemy. You got to think smaller. You got to bring a bunch of little things that don't look like much their way to the point where they're too busy for the enemy. Scripture says, you'll, you'll say that they are very small sins and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, the enemy being God in this case. It does not matter how small their sins are provided, they, their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. And I thought, what a creative and insightful thing about the spiritual warfare we encounter in setting out to faithfully follow God. And so Pharaoh was using work to keep the Israelites away from their God. The enemy of our souls, a taskmaster in the same way. And when our work becomes busyness, it's no longer vocation, it's no longer work, it's, it's something else. It's keeping us. It's a tactic of the enemy. The second tactic we see in Pharaoh's words quickly is that the enemy wants to tempt us to question the truthfulness of what God says to us, the reliability of his word. In verse 9, again, it says, make the work harder for the people so they keep working. And what else? That they pay no attention to lies. The enemy wants to keep us busy and question the truthfulness of God's word. And this is what Pharaoh was trying to do as a, as, a, as a representative of the enemy, whether he knew that or not. But now, as we drop down in faithfully believing and following God in this, things for Moses, unfortunately, and the people get harder instead of easier. So let's pick up at verse 10 and see where this goes. It says, Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. I'm sorry, super bad news. Super bad news. And so the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble, if you can believe it, to use for straw in this slave work ethic that they are being given. Verse 13, the slave drivers kept pressing them and pushing them down, saying, complete the work required of you each day, just as when you had straw. 
do more with less. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelites overseers that they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? The enemy just digs in, doesn't relent. We keep going, verse 19, the Israelite overseers, I mean, in response to what's happening, like how things are just getting much worse, that they believe God for this new thing. It says they realized they were in trouble when they were told you were not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. And then in verse 20, we see how they respond. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron. They went looking for the, the source of this new problem. They found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. <laughs> You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They turn on Moses. They can't turn on God, maybe, but they can turn on somebody who represents him in their life. And they come at Moses, blaming him for the thing that Pharaoh, the enemy, is doing. How does Moses respond? How does Moses respond? The chapter ends in verse 22 saying this, in all of this, Moses returned to the Lord. Moses took his complaint to the right place. He had a legitimate complaint and situation, and he took it to the right place. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Have you ever asked that question of God? <laughs> I have a couple of times. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on this people, and you've not rescued your people at all. I see no evidence, God, of the thing you promised. Have you ever thought that, maybe? You know, sometimes after we begin to obey God, we, we get tested right away, and we come to these kinds of points, and they are, they are a pattern we see in Scripture and this pattern is here for us this morning that we might not make the same mistake and follow a different path. You know, back in 2005, again, when Lynn and I moved to Vancouver, life got harder. I got kind of disillusioned. I asked that question on the beach one day, God, why have you brought us here? And in the midst of that complaint, God made it clear to me and to Lynn and I together, and we compared notes, that God was not releasing us from that ministry or that time. This is where he wanted us to be, even though we were having a hard time making sense of it. Maybe you've had a similar experience. You're like, God, I just want to change here, and I don't feel like you're opening the door to bring it. Why am I here? And suddenly, instead of blessing and following you, I'm getting stuff that's harder, you know? Here's what it says if we fast forward to the New Testament, to 1 Peter chapter 4, giving us further insight on what it means to faithfully follow God and what you may go through at times. It says this, dear friends, dear friends, this is 1 Peter chapter 4, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. What's happening to you isn't great, but it has purpose, redemptive purpose, in it being connected to your life in Christ. And if you persevere and try not to be surprised because you know you're in a spiritual battle, you know you're a believer in a world dominated by the enemy for this time, glory is coming if you'll persevere. 
and believe God to get to the other side. Faithfully following Jesus sometimes entails things getting harder before they get easier, but they'll always in the end be better if we persevere. I just want to say something real quick to end as an application point for you as a takeaway. Let's look at the response of Moses at the end of all this. He, he's beside himself, he, but he returns to the Lord. So that's the first thing that I think is instructive for you and for me. If you find yourself in such a place, in such a chapter of your life, return with it to the Lord. Bring it to the right place. You want to blame someone? Blame God. Go to Him. He's big enough to take it. He can handle your questions. He's not surprised. He already knows what's on your heart. He's been waiting for the moment you'd actually come back to Him that you might hear him out once again. See, in the very verse, next verse of chapter 6, God says, now, Moses, you're going to see what I'm about to do. I'm, I'm just making you hungry for it. And I'm taking you on a journey of character and trust at the same time. And I'm using your life and my good plan to stick it to the enemy for all eternity. Our focus is not the enemy. But God wants to use us to bring about his victory. And this is sort of what we see in the story. Moses' prayer, or time with God, is very honest. It's an honest prayer. God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? And I believe that God is honored by those kind of honest prayers. When we take our confusion, our discouragement, our hurts, and we and our questions, and we bring them to Him, and we say, "Lord, what gives?" And if we will resubmit our hearts to Him in those hard moments, we will find a refreshment, and we will find fresh grace. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul's encounter with Jesus. Paul said, "I've got this thorn in my side in my life. I've prayed about it three times. It's not gone away." The word he got back from Jesus was my grace, Paul, is sufficient for you. And my strength is being made complete in the midst of your weakness right now. And I believe that's what God would say to you today. Worship team, would you guys come on up and help us respond? Would you stand with me as we prayerfully consider this word from the Lord this morning? I want to pray for anyone here this morning who is kind of in a season of difficulty this morning. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that today, even, you would find the grace that you need to believe God for the chapter you're in and that you would persevere and you will know that God will take you to the other side. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for coming for us in your Son. Thank you for all that you show us in your word. We just thank you that you're a, a God of victory. You're a God of victory. You're also a God of faithfulness. You're a God of compassion. And you are a God who is completely committed to our growing in you. And so Jesus, right now, we just want to make a decision. We want to make a fresh decision to recommit our lives to you this morning. We want to make a decision to recommit all of our thinking to you this morning. Lord Jesus, we want to make a fresh commitment 
to submit to you our life situation right now. And we want to ask for fresh grace and strength by your Holy Spirit to come and give us the ability to persevere in trusting you for whatever it is we're going through right now. Jesus, would you come? You know, before the band plays, why don't you just take this moment of quiet as they begin to play and just craft your own prayer. Just, just tell Jesus you're trusting him. Just tell him you're, you're waiting on him. Just ask him to fulfill your, his promise over your life. Just talk with him. Meet with him right now about whatever is on your heart.